أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح حي على الفلاح الله أكبر الله أكبر لا الحمد لله الحمد لله علي ذات عظيم الصفات سمي السمات كبير الشأن جليل القدر الرفيع الذكر مطاع الأمر جليل البرهان فقيم الاسم غزيل علم وسيل حلم كثير الغفران جميل الثناء جزيل العطاء مجيب الدعاء يعمم الإحسان سريع الحساب شديد العقاب أليم العذاب عزيز السلطان ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له في الخلق والأمر ونشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله المبعوث إلى الأسود والأحمر المنعوت بشرح الصدي ورفع الذكر وصلى الله عليه وعلى آله وأصحابه الذين هم خلاصة العرب العرباء وخيل الخلائق بعد الأنبياء أما بعد فيا أيها الناس وحد الله فإن توحيد رأس الطاعات واتقوا الله فإن التقوى ملاك الحسنات وعليكم بالسنة فإن السنة تهدي إلى الإطاعة ومن أطاع الله ورسوله فقد رشد واهتدى وإياكم والبدعة فإن البدعة تهدي إلى المعصية ومن يعص الله ورسوله فقد ضل وغوى وعليكم بالإحسان فإن الله يحب المحسنين ودعوه فإنه مجيب الداعين واستغفروه يمددكم بأموال وبنين أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم من يشفع شفاعة حسنة يكون له نصيب منها ومن يشفع شفاعة سيئة يكون له كفل منها وكان الله على كل شيء مقيتا الله سبحانه وتعالى in the Quran reminds us time and time again of the fact that we are one united ummah. Inna hadhihi ummatukum ummatan wahida. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasizes our unity and reminds us of this time and time again in the Quran in different ways. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us in the Quran, innama al-mu'minuna ikhwa, that all the believers are like one family. 
فَأَصْلِحُوا بَيْنَ أَخَوَيْكُمْ So help to resolve things between your two family members. And this unity of the ummah that we talk about, it is very, very important. It is a part of our understanding, part of our usul, our framework, our foundation, our fundamentals. And it's very important to think about this theoretically and philosophically. However, how does that practically manifest? What are some practical, tangible ways to start to realize this unity and to start to benefit from the fruits of that unity? And there's one very particular aspect of the rights of a believer upon his fellow believer. The right of one of these community members upon another community member. The right that the members of these, this great faith-based extended family of Islam have upon one another. And it's one that is socially a bit complicated. It's complex. And that is the concept and the idea that Allah speaks about in this verse that I recited here at the beginning of the khutbah, ayah number 85 from Surah An-Nisa. And that is the concept of shafa'ah. Now, we've heard the word shafa'ah many times before, referencing more of the intersection in the life of the hereafter, on the day of judgment, etc. Not that. Linguistically speaking, the word shafa'ah, it means to double something. That's why the Prophet ﷺ, when explaining to us prayer, he says, salatu shafa'ah shafa'ah. That it's in two, two units. It means to double something. From that, the Arabs borrowed this word to say, if I go to someone to ask for a favor, to present my need, because I'm in a situation, I'm stuck in a rut, I'm dealing with some circumstances, and I go to a brother and I say, I need your help, or I need some assistance with this. I am one person making that plea, and I am the person in need which naturally will add a level of desperation on my part. I'm already not in a good place mentally. I will, I, there's a level of insecurity. I will be embarrassed. I will be ashamed. I will be reluctant. I will be hesitant. It's not going to be very convincing. But what happens is, when this brother comes and joins me, and intercedes on my behalf to the brother, he comes along with me, he calls him, he talks to him, and he says that this brother is in need. He could really use our help and our assistance. I encourage you to help him out. Now, it's been doubled. And that's where the word comes from. That instead of a person having to fend for themselves, you provide support. You are their backup. And this is the concept of shafa'ah. And that's where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here in Surah An-Nisa in the Quran, مَن شَفَاعَةً حَسَنَةً That whoever provides a good support, puts in a good word, a good recommendation, a good referral, يَكُلْ لَهُ نَصِيبٌ مِّنْهَا That person will get part of the reward of that. Because when this brother helps me out, that brother is doing sadaqah. That brother is doing a good deed. That person is doing an act of virtue, performing an act of virtue. 
But this brother, just by virtue of the fact he was willing to text him, call him, come along with me, put in a good word for me, write a note for me, write a letter for me. Now this brother will get a share of that reward. And on the flip side, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, and I'll come, come back to that a little bit later, and I didn't want to focus on this aspect of it too much here today, because there's a lot to talk about, obviously. The Qur'an is very, you know, it's a sea without shores, and you can continue discussing it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does instruct us here that whoever similarly says something bad about someone. So this brother knows that I'm trying to get help from this brother, and that person goes and basically undermines me. Obviously, we are not supposed to lie in Islam, and that's why I didn't want to talk about here, that here today. It's a more complicated case. But nonetheless, think about it in terms of being malicious. Think of malice. If that person is just being malicious and undermines me, minha, that person will now also bear the burden of that sin. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watchful over each and every single thing. Allah is keeping tabs on everyone and everything. So you won't be able to escape. You can make some excuse. I didn't say this, I didn't say that. I wasn't thinking this, I wasn't thinking that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, alimun bidhati sudur. Allah knows what's in my heart, what's in his heart, what's in his heart. Allah knows what's in our hearts. And we won't be able to make excuses or escape from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. But coming back to the first part, I said that this is very, this is a bit socially, it can be complicated. Because a lot of times we say, you know, I don't want to get involved with anybody else's business. And sometimes there's wisdom there. But the time where you're not supposed to get involved with other people's businesses, when it comes to talking bad about somebody, when it comes to g digging into someone's private matters, that's where you leave it alone. That's where you mind your own business. But when there's somebody in need, when there's somebody who's desperate, when there's, someone, when there's someone who desperately needs help, that is where you are supposed to get involved. That is where you are supposed to help. And saying in those moments and in those occasions, no, no, I don't want to get involved, I don't want to deal with it, I want to mind my own business, you know, I like to stay to myself, those are fancy excuses for laziness and for apathy and for not realizing our responsibility as a community. And I wanted to share a story from the life of the Prophet ﷺ quickly to illustrate this point more practically. There's a very remarkable incident that is mentioned by Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Kathir, and many of the scholars of the Sirah. It's also narrated by Tabarani and Bayhaqi and others. And it's referred to in the books as Qissatul Arashi, the man from Arash. This was a Bedouin man who was from far out in the desert. And he was in the business of raising, breeding, and raising camels. And the way that it would work is that these Bedouin folks who specialized who had their farms and their ranches, and they would breed and raise camels, they would bring them to the city and then sell them to the city folk. And so he had a whole flock of camels that he had raised, and he had brought them to sell. It was tradition even before Islam, this is in the early days of the Meccan period, while the Prophet ﷺ was initially preaching and teaching the message of Islam in Mecca. 
It was tradition even before Islam that when these people would arrive into Mecca, because they understood that the Haram, the Kaaba was something special. They did shirk there unfortunately, but they just had this remnant of this idea that there is something special about this place. They called it Haram, they called it sacred. So when they would arrive into Mecca, the first thing you would do is you would go there and pay your respects at the Kaaba. You would go do a tawaf and offer a prayer there. As he is there, he has his whole flock of camels and he's tying them up and securing them and getting ready to go in. Abu Jahal approaches him. Abu Jahal was one of the most vicious, notorious, foul people in Mecca. And he was the most outspoken and critical and violent and aggressive of the opposition to the Prophet He sees him, now he's dressed in such a way where you can tell this is a man of wealth, a man of prominence, a man of power. He's very pompous. And he has his whole entourage with him. So it's very obvious that this is a man who can afford quite a bit. He's a man of means. He approaches this Bedouin man and he says that, are these your camels? And he said, yes, I'm here to sell them. And he said, I'll buy all of them from you. The man is very excited. I thought I would have to stay here for a week. I'll be done in a day. So he says, oh, that's fantastic. Absolutely. He says, okay, I have my people here with me. Why don't we take the camels and you can collect the payment from me. Everybody knows who I am. And based on the culture and things of that time, the way tribes worked and everything, that was not an uncommon thing to occur. There's a leader of his people. Where's he going to hide? Where's he going to run? So the man is a simple Bedouin man. He says, sure, take the camels. And he's very happy. He goes into the haram and he, you know, is relaxing and enjoying himself. I'm done. Work is done. The next morning, he finds out, okay, where does this, his name was uh, Hisham bin Amr bin Hisham. Um, and he's, you know, known as Abu al-Hakam. He's a leader of Banu Amir. So he inquires about him. They say he lives over here. We know him as Abu Jahl. So he goes and he knocks on the door and Abu Jahl comes out and he says, who are you? What do you want? I'm here to collect my payment, sir. I don't know who you are. Get out of here. He slams the door on his face. The man is baffled. He knocks again. Abu Jahl opens again and threatens him. If you don't stop bothering me, I'm going to get somebody to beat you up. Get out. Don't let me see you again. Slams the door in his face. Now the man is, I mean, just imagine being in that situation. Outsider, poor man. And so he's so distraught. He doesn't know what to do. He's looking around. Nobody's willing to help. So he goes to the haram. And a lot of the leaders of the Quraysh would be sitting there and he goes there and stands in front of the Haram and stands in front of the Kaaba and he pleads and begs with them, Oh, people of the Haram. Oh, people of Mecca. This is what's happening to me. Help me. How can you allow this? How can you tolerate this? This is wrong. This is a dhulm. This is oppression. Everyone knows it's Abu Jahl that he's talking about so nobody wants to say anything. A couple of people, troublemakers, they see the Prophet ﷺ praying in the haram. And so they tell him, you see that man over there? Go to him. And they do this on purpose and they say, the guy who owes you money, Abu Jahan, that's his best friend. They're trying to create a situation. Go talk to him. He's his best friend. He'll do whatever he says. Knowing full well what the situation is. So the man very 
you know, innocently, sincerely goes to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rajul, Ya Karim, please help me. And so the Prophet ﷺ sees, man is so distraught, he comforts him, consoles him. What's wrong, brother? This happened, that happened. And so the Prophet ﷺ says, let's go. And he takes, the Prophet ﷺ takes him to the door of Abu Jahl. Knock on the door. Who is it? And the Prophet says, Muhammad. Abu Jahl hears that. You can hear him like just, you know, grunting inside, growling. That how could this day get any worse? Muhammad shows up at my door now? And so he comes to the door, trying to, looks like he's trying to rip the door off the hinges, opens the door, and he lays eyes on the Prophet. And his mouth is open and he goes pale. And that a little bit of a crowd, those people that put this man up to talking to the Prophet, they're at a distance watching all of this. They're here to watch the show. And Abu Jahl goes pale, mouth open, eyes big. And the Prophet says, you took this man's camels? And he says, yeah. You owe him money? Yeah. Go get it right now. And Abu Jahl goes inside, brings the money, hands the money to the guy, handshaking. The Prophet asks the man, everything good? Everything's good. And the man goes on his way, thanking the Prophet, you know, crying, thanking him. The man goes on his way, and the Prophet turns around and walks away. The crowd comes up to Abu Jahl afterwards, and they said, what happened to you? You're always barking and screaming about the Prophet here you have a chance. And now you act like a coward. He said, didn't you see the big giant beast that was behind, standing behind him? So what are you talking about? There was this big giant camel-like creature, it looked like a demon. I thought it was gonna like kill me. And it was hovering over him. And I was petrified, I was terrified, I didn't want to die. What was I supposed to do? Muhammad brought like some kind of demon monster with him. And they just dismissed him. They said, you know, you're a coward and you're making these silly excuses. You're crazy, you're a coward. And they walk away. And this, of course, is an example of the mir uh, one of the miracles of the Prophet The divine assistance to the Prophet But with that being said, the, the bigger moral of the story is think about the situation of the Prophet I said that sometimes vouching for someone, helping somebody out, referring someone, getting involved in somebody else's you know, trouble is a complicated situation. Was any situation more complicated than the Prophet at that time? He has to preach and teach this message from Allah. He's doing it in Mecca. The whole city is against him. They're killing and torturing anyone who will believe in him. Bilal is being tortured. Sumayya and Yasir have been murdered. They're tormenting the Prophet They're on his case all the time. And now in order to help somebody out, he has to go talk to the most vile human being on earth. ...of his life to destroy the Prophet But the Prophet puts all that complication aside and says there is a brother in need. There's someone who needs my help. And this is exactly what the Prophet ﷺ taught us in the hadith where in, in the hadith of Sahih Muslim, 
where the Prophet says, Ishfa'u tu'jaru. Be willing to help somebody out and you will be helped and aided and assisted. Be willing to help somebody out and you will be rewarded. Allah will help you. That man kana fi hajatin nasi kana Allahu fi hajatihi. Somebody who is involved in the needs of the people, willing to help people in their in times of need. Allah is in the aid of that person. You shall be rewarded. Be willing to say something, put in a good word on his behalf. And this is that instruction and that guidance from the Prophet. And as a very last kind of level. The Prophet ﷺ in another authentic narration tells us, مَن That if I do not have the means to help my brother, at the very least I can make dua for him. I can make dua for someone. And that dua shall be accepted for me. الملك, and the angel, Allah appoints an angel that says, Ameen, walaka bi mithli. That the angel says, Ameen, and says, and may Allah grant you the same thing. May Allah also help you in your need. Barakallahu lana wa lakum fil Qur'an al-Azim. Wa nafa'ani wa iyaakum bilayati wa dhikri al-Hakim. Astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa lisa'il al-Muslimin. Fastaghfiruh, innahu huwa al-Ghafuru rahim Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillahi wahda wa salatu wa salamu ala man la nabiyya ba'da. Qala Allahu azza wa jal fi kitabihi al-majid. Ba'da a'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan al-rajim. Inna allaha wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala al-nabi. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu. Sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. Allahumma salli ala muhammadin abdika wa rasulik. Wa salli ala al-mu'minina wal-mu'minat. Wal-muslimina wal-muslimat. Wa barik ala sayyidina muhammad. Wa ala azwajihi wa dhuriyati. Allahumma izza al-islam wal-muslimin. Allahumma ansiru al-islam wal-muslimin. Allahumma ahdina واهدبنا وجعلنا سببا لمن اهتدى اللهم عنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك اللهم احسن عاقبتنا في الأمور كلها واجنا من خج الدنيا وعذاب الآخرة اللهم وفقنا لما تحب وترضى وصلى الله تعالى على النبي الكريم قال الله تعالى إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربة وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعذكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكر الله يذكركم ودعوه يستجيب لكم ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقيم الصلاة الله أكبر الله 